Oh, why? How we feeling? Y'all feel good? Oh, man. Anybody have spring break already? Sick. Sick. Y'all feel good, though? Hey, we're about to have a great week of weather coming up. In the name of Jesus, it's going to be amazing. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is uh, Andrew Matrone. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And, man, I love what I get to do. Um, man, I feel like the past couple weeks have just been fire here. Like, I've had a few people like, man, how's young adults going? I'm like, man, they are going off every single week. Y'all come in, like, real awkward and uncomfortable. And we're, like, trying to rally up. And you're like, eh. but then by the end, like, Jesus, yeah. So I love it. So I'll, I'll give you some time to, to get there and to relax. But, hey, we're going to. We're going to get there tonight, and I believe that God has a, a great word. And can I just tell you that I believe that God divinely uh, brought you to this place tonight. I believe that God wants to speak to you in such a unique way that God knows exactly where you stand today, that God knows the sin in your life, God knows the things that you've done, God knows the things that have been done to you. But you sit in a room like this tonight with a bunch of broken people, a bunch of imperfect people pursuing a perfect God who has a plan for your life, who sees you, who loves you, and has great things in store for you. So believe in great things for you tonight. So we're in this series, Moments Before the Miracle, and we're talking about uh, the moments leading up to when Jesus would, uh, he'd go to the cross, and three days later, he would, he would raise from the dead, and Easter, the pinnacle of our faith, is next weekend, and it's going to be such an amazing time, but we decided, like, man, let's talk about some of the events building up, and so a couple weeks ago, uh, Connor talked about the, um, the, the table, and the last supper, and all the moments be, be leading up to the death, and then the last week of the garden, and all the agony that Jesus faced as he was about to face the cross, and then tonight we're going to talk specifically about the cross, and there's a lot of stuff that, that goes into this, I've been reading it over and over again, I'm, and, and just so you know, man, I have been reading about the cross this week, and like never before, my life has been wrecked this week. Um, I'll probably start crying. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I've cried like every time I listen to worship song, every time I open the Bible this week, God has been like wrecking my soul. And I believe that the same is going to happen for you tonight. And so we're going to talk about the cross and I'm going to read an obnoxious amount of scripture, like an obnoxious amount. And if it's your first time, I promise we don't just sit here and read the Bible for seven hours. But I, I was praying like, God, what, what should I say? And I just felt like God was like, tell the story. Like, Read the story. Tell, tell them exactly what happened. So, um, so I'm going to let you sit down, okay? Yeah. Normally I want to, we're going to stand for the reading of God's word, but uh, there's a lot of scriptures. So, so you ready? Okay, so this is after Jesus was in the garden. And he was betrayed and he was arrested. And it says this in Matthew chapter 26. But stay with me. Let, let, let Feel the power of this moment, what's taking place here. I'm going to get comfortable. It says in verse 57, Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed behind him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? 
What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming down on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fist. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you. And if you fast forward to chapter 27, verse 1, it says, Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to execute Jesus or have Jesus executed. So they bound him and led him astray and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Skip down to verse 11. It says, Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony that they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd gathered, Pilate asked him, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus, Barabbas, or Jesus, who is called the Messiah. For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent this message, Don't have anything to do with this innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah, Messiah, the Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the, governor, the governor's soldiers took Jesus to the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to be crucified. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divvied up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who had passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. 
He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he had said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran, got a sponge, filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks split. The tombs broke open. The bodies of many uh, holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city, appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Listen, tonight, I want to talk about the power of the cross of Jesus Christ and what it just might mean for your life. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you so much for uh, tonight, God. I believe that you have something so profound. Lord, I pray that you would stir up our hearts. Lord, if someone's been a believer for their entire life, Lord, I pray that you would shake up their heart tonight. I pray that you would speak to them in a way differently than they've ever heard before. Lord, I believe there's someone sitting in this room tonight that doesn't have a relationship with you. And after they see what you did for them, Lord, they're going to enter into life with you. God, we're believing that you are here, that you are present. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Hey, hug someone next to you. Tell them you love them. Hey, question for you. That was a lot of scripture, dear Lord. Y'all like, he can't read very good. Is anybody in here, you're a forgetful person? Come on. Like, some of you are forgetting that you're a forgetful person. I don't know what it is about me. I'm a forgetful person. Like, I'm the kind of person, you're like, hey, what's up, man? My name's Jacob. And then three minutes later, I'm like, all right, Stephen, have a great night, man. Talk to you. I, I drive my wife nuts when it comes to being, being forgetful. She'll be like, hey, babe, can you move the laundry? I'm like, yeah. 30 minutes later, I'm sitting on the couch. She's like, did you move the laundry? I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? Did you move? She, it, it, it drives her nuts. I, 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 I had this moment this week. And I don't know if it's like COVID brain or what, but I had this moment this week where I'm like, I've been forgetting a lot of things lately. So I literally Googled it. I'm like, what does it mean when you're forgetting things? So I either have a brain infection or I'm going through menopause. I don't know. It's not great, though. I don't feel really great about where I'm at, where my mind is, is functioning right now. Um, but just the other week, it was probably like a month ago, and our, our, our staff, for our, our online experience for our church on the weekend, what you see on the weekend, we filmed that on Thursdays at Littleton as a staff. And, and Craig Groeschel was, was, was preaching, and, and we were there, and it was amazing. And while he's preaching towards the end, I, I keep on getting this phone call from this number. And I'm like, man, who is this? 
you know, there's such power. You just get to click the button that just stops them dead in tracks and sends them to the voicemail. You know, like, I got you, son. Like, but they kept on calling. And, and then it goes to worship, and I'm just washing my brains out. And, and, and they keep on calling. And then all of a sudden, I get a text from this number, and I'm like, what the heck? I open it up. It says, Mr. Matrone, you need to come pick up your son from school. You're 30 minutes late. My wife is standing on stage during worship. Go get Abram. Go get Abram. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I, I, I get in my car, and, and I'm flying like 100 miles an hour, and, and, and I get to school, and, and I'm the dad. All the cars are gone, and just the teacher and my son. And my son's standing there, and he literally says, you forgot me. You feel bad for me. Yeah. I can't tell you what, when your kid makes you feel that way, it does something to your soul. You forgot me. You see, I, I look at the word forgetting, and, and forgetting is, is failing to remember something of importance. And I was thinking about it this week that I think one of the greatest mistakes as a, for us as believers is, is forgetting or failing to remember the importance of what Christ did for us and the power of what Christ did for us on the cross. Listen, I think that we all can do this. We all find ourselves this way where we begin to, to treat the cross as just some kind of symbol. Where we begin to treat the cross like it's some kind of ritualistic thing. right? Like we, we sing about it. We talk about it. We read about it. We, we sometimes, in the right moment, we'll, we'll post about it, right? I'll even wear a necklace with a cross on it, right? I'll put a tattoo on my leg of a cross, all the while failing to remember and forgetting the life-changing power of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and why he did it for you. Listen, if you don't remember or understand the purpose and the power of the cross, you'll never fully walk in the power and the authority of the cross that it allows you to live in. See, I think that sometimes we have to stop dead in our tracks and allow ourselves to go back to the divine purpose of what Jesus did for us. And that's exactly what we're going to do tonight. We're, we're, we're not going to fail to remember in this moment. We are going to remember tonight what Jesus did for us, the power that it means for my life, and if I believe in it and walk in it, the confidence and strength and peace that will lead me in my life. And so tonight what we're going to do, we're going to answer three questions. Why was Jesus crucified? How was Jesus crucified? And what does the crucifixion mean for you? Because the crucifixion, whether you're a believer, whether you don't know Jesus, whether you hate Jesus, the crucifixion means something for every single one of our lives that are sitting in here. So the first question I want to ask is, why was Jesus crucified? And I think the reality is there's probably a lot of people sitting in this room, you're like, uh, I, I think I kind of know. Like, I would say most people would, would say, well, well, Jesus, he, he died on the cross for my sins, and if I believe in him, then I get to go to heaven. And, and, and while that's true, there is such deeper meaning and, and power and truth to, to, to the cross of Jesus Christ. When we begin to understand why, it, it brings a lot more meaning to our lives. And so why was Jesus crucified? Well, I believe that there was a very political and evil and physical reason, but then there was also a very spiritual and divine reason why Jesus was crucified. Now, let's talk about it for a minute. For a minute. The, the political and evil and physical reason why Jesus was crucified. 
See, we read about, about Pilate. He was the Roman governor. But what's interesting is that it wasn't the Roman government that wanted Jesus crucified. Who wanted Jesus crucified was actually the religious leaders of that time. It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, the Pharisees were an influential religious sect of, of Judaism. They were experts in the law. They were experts in, in, in the Old Testament law, the, the law of Moses. And they held tightly to the traditions of the Old Testament law. Now, the Pharisees, they held the moral standard that communities should live in in a religious aspect. They sat in the high places of the synagogue. The Pharisees, they had this appearance of perfection. And the reality is that the Pharisees were actually quite legalistic because they believed that the better you observe the law, the better you obey the law, the more right standing that you will have with God. So that's what they preached. And they looked down on people. They condemned people because if you weren't perfect, if you weren't perfectly observing and obeying the traditions and the rituals of the law, then you did not have right standing with God. But the reality is, is that they were hypocrites. And they were actually quite fake. And the reality is that nothing reveals a counterfeit like the presence of a genuine. Amen. And so when Jesus came onto the scene, he disrupted everything for the Pharisees. For thousands of years, they had followed these traditions and, and these rituals. And they held people to these high standards that they, they themselves couldn't even fulfill. For thousands of years, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene. He disrupts everything. He spoke a different message. He, he, he talked differently. He preached differently. He walked differently. He, he loved differently, and they hated Jesus for it. Hated him. See, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of this time, they hated Jesus because Jesus made claims that he was the Son of God. That he actually had the power. He was the Son of God. They hated Jesus because Jesus claimed that he was there to take away the sins of the world. They hated Jesus because of the miracles that Jesus performed. And they could not perform them. But Jesus was turning water into wine. Jesus was making the deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk. Jesus was restoring people. He was, he was uh, taking demons out of people. Jesus was healing and restoring people. And they could not do so. They hated Jesus for the power that he walked in. They hated Jesus for who Jesus socialized with. See, they looked down on sinners, down on tax collectors. But Jesus, he sat at the same tables and ate meals with sinners and tax collectors. At the time when the Pharisees, the religious leaders, wanted to throw stones at an adulteress, Jesus stood in front of the woman and said, throw the stone at me first. Jesus defended while they judged and condemned and they hated him for it. They hated Jesus because he was a threat to their religious systems and way of life. They hated Jesus because of his lack of respect for the religious traditions. They hated Jesus. They wanted him dead. And so they tried him. And then they ultimately crucified him. So that was the, the political, evil, physical reason why Jesus was crucified. But there was a very spiritual and divine reason why Jesus was crucified. What's important to understand is that these religious leaders, they didn't take Jesus. God gave them Jesus. Come on. They didn't take him. God gave him. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave 
his one and only son, that it was all a part of God's master plan. It was part of the fulfillment. It had to happen. And listen, God didn't just give Jesus. Jesus willfully surrendered his life. On the cross, he said, to your hands, I, I, I give my spirit. While he was in the garden, he said, not my will be done, but your will be done. When he entered the scene, he said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. Jesus willfully gave up his life. No one took his life. He willfully gave up his life. But why? Like, why? Why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Why did Jesus have to be crucified? Why did God give up his one and only son? And to answer that question, we have to go all the way back to page one of the Bible. I think right now we're at page 995. That was supposed to be funny. The Bible's a different page. Thanks, Keaton. Route, you good, bro? Go all the way to back to page one. And, and, and I'm just going to take, take a moment. And the reality is that there's a lot that happened between Genesis 1 and, and, the, and the death of Jesus on the cross. And I was like, God, help me articulate and to the best of my ability what took place and why Jesus had to be crucified. And so I'm going to take like two minutes, but I think this could give you a lot of understanding as you move on with this, with this passage. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 where God creates the heavens and the earth. And then God creates humanity to work the earth. And it says that God looked at humanity, he looked at humans, and he said, this is good. See, God created a good and perfect world, and then he created humans and appointed humans to rule over the world. But then, as we know, humans, sin entered the scene, and humans began to rebel and rebel and rebel over and over and over again, leading to a world of destruction, leading to a world of shame, violence, despair, depression, anxiety, because sin had entered the world because of humans. And because sin had entered the world, there was now separation between God and humanity. Why was there separation between God and humanity? Well, think about this, that, that light cannot coincide with darkness. And so God was, was perfect, without flaw, and so God was filled with light. But then you had humans who were flawed, who were sinful, who were filled with darkness. And because of that, there was a fractured relationship. And because of their sin, they, they now owed a debt to God for their sin. But God tried to give them a way out. And every time that God's people would sin, God allowed them to sacrifice a perfect and without blemish animal for the atonement of their sins. And so this is what had happened throughout the entire Old Testament, is that they would sin, and then they would grab a perfect, uh, without blemish animal, and they would sacrifice it. So they would sin and sacrifice, sin and sacrifice, as you can imagine, a very volatile and fractured relationship. But what I love about this is that throughout the whole Old Testament, you can read it, that God was committed to restoring the relationship with his people. And so he chooses people all throughout the Old Testament to try to carry out the mission of restoring the relationship. So you see people like Abraham. 
in Moses, in David, different kings, in judges, in prophets, all who did great things, but they failed miserably because they were human, broken people and could not fulfill to restore the relationship back to God. And so all throughout the Old Testament, there are over 300 prophecies pointing to someone who would one day bring the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of earth and pay for all the sins of humanity, bring the relationship back together and be the ultimate sacrifice. Okay, so to take everything I said, think about this. So the Old Testament ends like this. Okay, you have God and then you have humanity. What separates God and humanity is sin. And they cannot pay the debt because there is a debt owed for their sin. So there had to be an advocate that the Old Testament was pointing towards who would come to this earth and be a ransom for the sin, pay the debt that was owed, and bring the relationship of God and humanity back together. Does that make sense? To three of you. Thank God. Prayed for you three. Sorry, that was a lot. I know. Did the best I could. But this is why God sent Jesus. Okay, if, if, if you read your Bible, what I just told you is the whole Old Testament, broken, fractured relationship, God trying to use people to restore the relationship, nothing's working. But the whole time the Old Testament is prophesying and pointing towards someone who would come and help bring that relationship back together. And so enter into the New Testament. And so that's why the New Testament it starts in Matthew and Luke of the birth of Jesus. And in John, John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus. In Mark it says the word now has become flesh, meaning Jesus. So God in the New Testament sends Jesus. God with skin on, God in the flesh. Now think about this with Jesus. If you don't fully understand this. Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus was fully God and fully human. Okay, so he wasn't half God and half human like Hercules. Hercules. Y'all know the nutty professor? I mean, go watch it. I mean, change your life. That scene when they're sitting at the table, my goodness. So Jesus was fully God and fully human. Why was he fully God and fully human? Well, because he had to represent both sides. In order for God, Jesus to represent God, he had to be fully God. In order for Jesus, to represent humans, he had to be fully human. So Jesus had the divine nature and spirit of God, but human flesh and emotions. So, so he had the divine nature of God. Okay, he, 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 he dwelt on things above. He had this perfect re relationship with God and the Holy Spirit, but then he had human flesh. And can I tell you that every single emotion and every single thing that you've ever experienced internally in your mind and your soul, Jesus experienced the same thing. Can I tell you that Jesus experienced anger? He experienced pain, death, sorrow, temptation. Jesus was fully human so he could understand what it was like for us to live on this earth and fight the temptations and go through this thing that we go through on planet earth. So God, well, he, Jesus was divine in nature and spirit of God, but he was fleshly as a human. He experienced the emotions and struggles of a human. 1 Timothy 4, 5, and 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator, God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. So there's God and mankind, so this is explaining the Old Testament again, 
It's bringing it all back together. There's God and mankind and a mediator to mediate the relationship to bring back together. And what's so powerful is that when Jesus, when he walked this earth, Jesus walked this earth completely sinless. He didn't think one bad thought. He didn't say one wrong word. He didn't do one wrong action. That Jesus walked this world perfectly without sin and without blemish so that he could be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. Why did Jesus have to walk this world perfectly and without blemish and no sin? Well, if you track back to the Old Testament, for there to be restoration between God and his people, they had to what? Sacrifice a perfect animal without blemish for the atonement of their sins. So that's why in John 1.29, John the Baptist, while Jesus is entering onto the scene, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to this earth to take away our sins. So when you hear the blood of the Lamb or you hear the Lamb of God, it's referencing Jesus being perfect and without blemish to represent the sacrifice that they had to atone for in the Old Testament. Hebrews says it was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person, to perfect some very imperfect people. Powerful. Jesus was the fulfillment of restoring God and humanity back together. Colossians 2.14 reiterates this point again. It says, because we broke God's law, we owed a debt. A debt that listed all the rules we failed to follow, but God forgave us that debt. He took it away and nailed it to the cross. That was paid. This is what we mean when we say Jesus died for your sins. This is what we say when, when we mean when, this is what we mean when we say Jesus paid for your sins on the cross. Now, did Jesus have to die? I was asking myself that question this week. Did Jesus have to die? Like, couldn't he even like came and hang out, loved on people, healed people, and be like, peace, I'm going to heaven, I'll see y'all in a little bit? Did Jesus have to die? Yes, Jesus had to die. Because a life had to be sacrificed to save the life of another. To save a life from sin, another life had to be sacrificed. And can I tell you that the death that Jesus endured was not some normal death? Can I tell you that Jesus didn't just die of old age? That Jesus died one of the most horrific deaths ever recorded in history? Can I tell you about the death of Jesus Christ? That Jesus was falsely accused. He had done no wrong, had committed no crime, and he was arrested and tried. At his trial, it says that he was spit on, he was beaten with fists, and he was slapped. And then they send him to the Roman governor, And the Roman governor has to decide because at this time of the festival, every year was custom for him to release one prisoner. He has Barabbas and he has Jesus. And the people chant, crucify Jesus, release Barabbas. So Barabbas is released while Jesus stays in prison, setting the stage that the guilty would go free in the place of Jesus' body. And then it says that Pilate said, all right, his blood is on your hands now. And so it says that Pilate sends him to be flogged. And we read that word flogged, and it's like, well, what, do, 
What does that mean? Can, can, I, can I tell you what, what flogging was? That flogging was one of the most torturous things that a man could endure. That what they would do is they would strip someone completely naked. So Jesus was stripped with no clothes. They would tie you to a post or a pillar or lay your body across a rock or a stone. And they would take this whip and had multiple, multiple whips on it. On the end of each whip, there would be bone fragments or, or, or metal, metal shrapnel on the end. And what would happen is when they would hit your body, the, the, the bone, the metal would connect to your skin and then it would rip away. And so they'd rip away your, your, your flesh, your skin, your muscle. To the point where your body was unrecognizable. I, I, I read, read some history on, on flogging this week. And I found out that, that most people always died during flogging because their body couldn't handle it. They would just go into shock. And so before even being crucified, they would die anyways. So Jesus was flogged. And then it says that Jesus was mocked. It says this in Matthew chapter 27, verse 28. It says they stripped him. Can you, can you think about like this is our Savior? They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him to make fun of him because he claimed to be king. And they stripped him, put a robe on him to make fun of him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews. They spit on him, took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And after they mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to be crucified. He was mocked, humiliated. And then he was made to carry his own cross. And when he couldn't carry his cross very far, they grabbed some, some guy's name was Simon. And they said, Simon, you carry the cross. And they went to this hill called Golgotha, which is the place of the skull. And there they began the crucifixion process with Jesus. Now, the crucifixion wasn't just one of the most painful ways that you could die, but it was also one of the most disgraceful ways. The Old Testament says, cursed is the man who's hung on a tree. So it's painful but disgraceful. See, Jesus would have been laid, laid across wooden beams, stretched his arms so far where his shoulders would pop out of socket, stretched across a, a wooden beam. Then they would take these giant nine-inch stakes or nails, and they would pierce right through this wrist between these bones on the cross, and they'd put his feet together, and they would nail a nine-inch nail through his ankles. Then they'd pull Jesus into the sky to die on the cross between two convicted criminals. It says that Jesus hung on the cross for six hours. Hung on the cross for six hours. And while he was hanging on the cross, he was mocked. People who saw Jesus heal people. People who saw Jesus love on people still walked by and mocked him. Insulted him. At one point, the soldiers, they began to cast lots to see who would get Jesus' clothing. Standing there in complete shame and embarrassment. And then darkness covered the land 
And it says that Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? You know, what's interesting is from, from what I can read, the only time that Jesus doesn't reference God as Father is right here. Why? Because he was forsaken. Jesus was on that cross alone. And why was he forsaken? Because the sin of the world, of all of our sins, past, present, future, was laid on the back of Jesus. And light could not coincide with darkness. God was filled with light, but Jesus took on the sins of the world and was filled with darkness. He was separated from his father. God turned his back on Jesus because he could not look upon sin. Second Corinthians says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. For our sake, for God to love the world, that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And then it says that Jesus, he cried out his final words, and then he gave up his spirit. His final words were, it is finished. It is finished. And then he gave up his spirit. I did some research on the phrase, it is finished. And the Greek word translated, it is finished, is tetelestai. And it's an accounting term meaning paid in full. Jesus saying, it is finished, was Jesus saying, paid in full. I've done the job. I've paid the price. The debt owed by man was finally and forever dealt with. Not only did Jesus pay for all man's sins, but now he was able to remove it as far as the east is from the west. It was done, finished, signed and sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. God and there was humanity and what separated and fractured the relationship was sin a debt was owed and someone had to be pay the ransom Jesus was the ransom by his life the atonement of our sins to close the gap so that now you and I have free access to an unfractured relationship with our Lord and Savior. Man, this this week, I, I I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I. I I, I, I just like all of you, I'm, I'm human. And man, I, I've dealt with a lot of, lot of things and struggles in 2020 and I've tried to do the best that I can. And more days than not, sometimes I, I wake up or go to bed and just be like, man, I, I didn't do enough. I wish I was better. 
I wish I was a better believer. I wish I read my Bible more. I wish I prayed more. I wish I was a better husband. I wish I was a better father to my children. And it's, 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 it's been a year where I've just kind of had to like put my head down and as many of you and just try to do the best I can. And, and, and I've known for a couple weeks I was going to preach on, on this topic. And, but this week I just, I, started, I was getting up really early every morning just to like, and I, I read this, this passage over and over and over again. And man, God just began to like break my heart like shift my heart and I've been wrecked by the cross of Jesus Christ this week in the best way possible there's been like a a restoration a redemption of my soul seeing what Jesus Christ did for me and that if he wouldn't have done that I'd just be wandering around on this earth with no hope And so you might be sitting in this room and you're like, okay, well, what, what does that like mean for me though? What does Jesus going to the cross, what does it mean for me? And can I tell you, it means everything. It means everything. Let, let me just give you a few things that Jesus being crucified means for you. Because Jesus was crucified, God sees you now through the lens of Jesus. That God no longer sees you for your sin. That God sees you for Jesus' sacrifice. If you go back to 2 Corinthians, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Can I tell you that God does not see you for your mistakes? That God does not see you for your sin? That God sees you through the lens of Jesus in agony on that cross, paying the ultimate sacrifice for your sins and for my sins. What does Jesus dying on the cross mean for me? It means for you that all your sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven. Can I tell you? Every single one of your sins that you've ever committed, that you'll commit tonight on your drive home. The sins that you'll commit 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road. Every single one of your sins have been forgiven and paid for on the cross 2,000 years ago. Listen, it's no longer about what you do. It's about what Jesus did. No longer about what you do. It's about what Jesus did. Listen, your relationship with God or lack thereof or potential relationship with God is not based off of, of sin or, or, or lack there of sin. It's based off of belief. It's not based off your sin. Every single one of your sins, past, present, and future, were nailed on that cross 2,000 years ago. What does Jesus dying on the cross mean for me? That we now have access to eternity with God. Jesus dying on the cross for you has created access 
for you now to spend eternity in heaven with God. Let, let, let me read you five quick verses. Romans 3.23. This, this is how it happens. You're like, okay, how, how do I do that? I, I want that. I'm, I, 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 I've been looking for a lot of things in my life, and I think I want this Jesus. How, how do I have access now to, to God? It says this in, in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, what that verse is saying, that I'm no better than you, and you're no better than me. That every single one of us has sinned. Every single one of us are broken. Every single one of us are hurting. Every single one of us had made poor financial decisions. We've all made poor relational decisions. Every single one of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, listen, even your most righteous acts, the Bible says, are like filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God. That even on your best day, you are not good enough. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. So we deserve death because of our sins. Every single one of us. Because of the sin in our life. We don't deserve grace. We don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve good blessings and favors in this world. No, for the wages of sin is death. But Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were still sinners, can I tell you, that while Jesus hung up on that cross, that he saw you, that he had you in mind, that he had your parent in mind your brother in mind, that he had my wife in mind, my children in mind. But God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, broken, flawed people, he still sent Jesus Christ to be the atonement for our sins. And so how do I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. You don't have to come to God all cleaned up. I think we have this thought that, that we need to come to God all cleaned up. No. For all of sin. Wages of sin is death, but God demonstrates his own love for us. That while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We all stand with me. With heads bowed and eyes closed, man, I just, I want to ask one question. I'm not going to talk about this Jesus and then not give you an opportunity to respond to him. You're in here, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You had no idea about anything that I've talked about until right now. This is all news to you. And you've been searching and wandering, looking for the next thing that's going to give you satisfaction and fulfillment in this life. But the more you look, the more lost you become. But you wandered in this place tonight and you think you just found what it is that you've been looking for, Jesus Christ. You don't have a relationship with God, but you say, I want to give my life to him. 
surrender my life to him and enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's you in this room, would you slip up your hand so I can pray for you? Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. I see you. I see you, bro. I see you. Wow. Praise Jesus. You can put your hands down. And listen, hey, if, if that's you and you raise your hand, all you have to do is declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. God, we love you. Thank you. Thank you for the cross. God, you are a good God. We give you all the glory and honor and praise. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's worship.